You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. And it is my absolute pleasure to be with you, Kyla. This is really a highlight of my week is when we can record the podcast together. Are you trying to say this to shame me for missing last week? Well, I <laughs> I would prefer you were here, but I hope you had a good time in Lake Tahoe at your quote-unquote conference. Yes, my um, conference with the uh, Buffalo slot machines. Yes, well, that was that was your Saturday, I guess. But, uh, you yeah. know, I know you had a couple of meetings and such things. But in any event, no, uh, it is, uh, I really do enjoy recording the podcast with you, especially when we're face-to-face. Because it's just, uh, you know, I, I can read so much more from you. And we have a good discussion. And the, the whole idea of our podcast in the beginning was, you and I have these discussions all the time, usually in the office, historically, when we used to have hallways to walk down. We don't really have hallways anymore. We have opener spaces, but we used to have these discussions and people in the office wanted to listen to some of the things we discussed. And as a consequence, we ended up deciding that, okay, this was a way to do it. <laughs> and But we don't have as many opportunities these days to have those discussions. So this is really our opportunity. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like doing it face to face because when you're going on for so long, I could do like the throat slit motion to get you to stop talking. Yeah. Usually you just glare at me, <laughs> but but that's fine too. I don't mind. I understand your, I, I can read your glares when I'm looking. Sometimes I just look down like I am now because I'm so ashamed. I'm just going to keep talking. I don't want to see <laughs> that I'm getting cut off. So let's get into it. Okay. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you about um, was this idea that Mike Farnworth came out with earlier this week. And he was interviewed about um, the case of Roy Hine, um, the man who got those multiple uh, impaired driving convictions, was still able to purchase insurance for his vehicle, was driving around, and he ended up uh, getting uh, like four years and 360 days in jail or something. We talked about him a couple episodes ago, if you recall. It was Wrigley. He remembers that. Yes. So a lot of people were raising the question at the time, why is it that he was even allowed to insure his motorcycle? He shouldn't have been allowed to buy insurance if he didn't have a a vehicle. Yeah. So, I mean, even if you don't have a driver's license, you can buy insurance for a vehicle. Um, and we see this with some regularity. And sometimes, like, your company can buy a vehicle mm-hmm. and insure it. And it doesn't have a, your company doesn't have a driver's license, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea here is to try and figure out some way to make sure that people can't even buy insurance. Um, and I don't know, is this like a red herring? Is this a, like, what, what, I, I, it doesn't seem to me like it needs to be something that, that has to be done. Like, yes and no. I mean, I don't think it's a red herring because there is merit to the, the fact that he shouldn't have been able to buy insurance in the sense that it makes a vehicle a lot less accessible to you when you don't have plates and you don't have insurance. People are more likely to report you if you're out driving and you have no plates because you have no insurance. Like, I, I get that to some extent. Well, yeah, I guess the license plates yes. issue. Yeah. Um, that's registering a vehicle. 
Yeah. Um, in in the rest of Canada, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, if you're in a, a location where there's private insurance, you're probably thinking the government registers the car. The insurance is private. Here in BC, it's all sort of one big thing. But here's the problem that they're having with this issue. You'd think that this would be an easy thing for the government to fix. They control the insurance. They control the rules. But apparently, the issue is that there's a combination of regulations and legislation that would need to be amended in order to make it so that somebody who had a suspended driver's license could not purchase vehicle insurance. Now, what happens if you've purchased your vehicle insurance and then you're suspended? Well, and this is the problem. And what if you, I, I think about IRP clients, especially where you purchase your vehicle insurance, then you get an IRP on 11 months and 24 days into your insurance contract. So your insurance expires while your vehicle's in, in the impound and your license is suspended. You can't renew the insurance on the vehicle because your license is suspended. Hailstorm at the impound lot. Yeah, whatever. Um, you can't renew the insurance on your vehicle. Legislation actually requires you to keep the vehicle insured if it's in an impound lot. And imagine you get a series of extensions. Your, your driver's license remains extended and it's past the 30-day vehicle impoundment, you can't get the vehicle out of the impound because you can't have anybody drive it because it's not insured, and nobody can insure it because it's owned by somebody who doesn't have a driver's license. Yeah, I mean, it sets up so many hurdles that are, like, completely cruel to, especially, like, a family. Yeah, parents like, you know, who, who can't insure a car so their kid can drive it because well, the parent has a suspended How license. often are the cars all in the name of one person in the family? Yeah. Like me. Um, and uh, in circumstances where, like, your spouse drives the car. You, <laughs> you own the minivan. Your spouse is listed as a driver. Um, and... Um, you end up with a driving prohibition and and now your insurance is canceled or you can't renew it? Yeah, basically. <laughs> so I don't know. As I said, it it seemed to me like it was one of these things that becomes a discussion topic and that's probably not going to go anywhere because it's so complex. And I think it's a red, red area. I think, think they're just, see, they're talking about it while the news is fresh and then- And nothing will happen. And I, and I suspect that, uh, and I, I don't think there's great value in the attempt to do it. There's I think, really a hue and cry. Yeah, I make think, it more difficult to get insurance. I think insurance. really the issue is, uh, you know, is uh, enforcement of uh, driving prohibitions. And pre-pandemic, we saw a lot more enforcement of uh, stopping people who are driving while prohibited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is back to something that you and I have talked about. And I've, you know, I've been talking to Vancouver police officers a lot about this, at, uh, like direct message, Twitter, and and when I see them. Um, in the course of work and they're all telling me the same thing that the um traffic uh enforcement has been gutted over the last few years from retirements and uh and there's few people around who are uh, are doing it and of course there's some good officers who retired who are now working at the justice institute like former sergeant christensen the sergeant or corporal or what was the mm-hmm. highest higher and then the soap Maybe in a few years' time, there'll be some capacity to do some enforcement. But really what it comes down to is, you know, in, in detachments where they had traffic uh, back in the day, pre-pandemic, somebody would be prohibited. They, you know, there might be some uh, notification go to them. They might be concerned that maybe this person is driving a work vehicle mm-hmm. and they go park outside of the person's work yep. and pull them over. 
And we used to see those, you know, those traffic officers. So just sit outside people's houses. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're going to do your paperwork in the car. You just park down the street and you see that guy tooling along and you know, oh, you've seen his picture. You you know who he is. Yep. Um, or, you know, the um, uh, pulling over uh, trucks registered to women driven by men. You know, uh, again, probably 20% of the time it's a prohibited driver. And of course there's all those people, oh, why are they po- targeting me? Yeah. Cause you're a prohibited driver. <laughs> uh, you deserve to be targeted. So I, I think, you know, really the, uh, they could just put some more, well, I mean, it's finding the people right now. It's not even the money. They've got the money to do it. The they just don't, there. they just don't have the, the staff. Create the perception that you'll get caught driving while prohibited and people will drive while prohibited a lot less. Well, that's the other thing. When they prohibit people, you know, you get this letter saying, here's this. Why not follow it up with another letter that says, by the way, these are the consequences. Like, what's you the cost can't. of that? It's a hell of a lot cheaper than legislation mailing out one follow-up letter. Well, they didn't get the mail. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Well, they could do one that's not a, that has no return address and then people would open it up and see it. Um, you know, when they, when they see the notice of driving prohibition or the notice of intent to prohibit, lots of people don't want to open it because they get a sense of reminds, who it's from. Reminds me of jail mail in the U.S. Which is what? When uh, defense lawyers will send bulk mailings to people who've been released from jail because they can get all that information. Yeah. And they do like jail mail to scrounge up clients. Oh, you can do that here too. You could sit and go on the court list. And I, in fact, I, I, I did at early in my career send letters to people who were charged with impaired driving if I could find their address because you used to be able to find it, right? We used to have, we used to have, in, in, I, I, I'm interrupting you, but I find this fascinating that we're so concerned these days about doxing, you know, that you could, that you could have your address and your identity posted on the internet for people to find. Meanwhile, they used to drop off a book on your doorstep with everybody's name, everybody's address, and everybody's telephone number. Oh, I know. It's still some of it is available online at the yellow pages online or whatever, but the, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember when the government just doxed you. It was, well, it was the government when it was owned by, by. The white pages but, was the government. Well, it was when it was BC Tel. I guess if BC Tel was owned by the government in Alberta, certainly eight Alberta government telephones before it became TELUS. Yeah. Um, yeah. It used to be the government that sent a list of everybody's address <laughs> in a big white book. Wow. But we never had a, an internet to discuss it. No. Otherwise we would have realized. Cancel people. It'd be like, this person's a bad person. Yeah. And they live on 68th Street and 128th Avenue. Now you have to know somebody who, or back then you had to know somebody who knew something bad about another person. And then what were you going to do to cancel them? Cross out their- Egg their houses. Cross out, well, I suppose you could cross out their name in the phone book with a felt pen. The- uh, But then you go, it would go right through the paper and you'd cross out the people in the back. The the limitation period is long since passed for the people whose houses I egged. Egged somebody's house? Yeah. Oh my gosh. He had it coming. I didn't do anything of the sort. Trust me, he deserved it. I thought about it. I did a lot of thinking stalking, and I never actually wasn't much of an active stalker. Yeah, well, I'll tell you after the podcast what this person did, and you'll think I I went light. Um, Anyway, (laughs) point being that the police have access to this information, and they could just park outside your house and send you letters and be like, we will catch you. Here are all the ways we can catch you. 
Well, LPR. Well, I don't know if they still do it, but at some point they used to send, uh, you know, notifications to the police detachments and they could still do that if they, if they were up to it, I suppose the, the, uh, nothing stopping the, uh, uh, solicitor general's office from saying, here's the list of the 30 people we prohibited from driving this week and their addresses. You might want to follow up. Yeah. Um, it's significant punishment, by the way, if you're charged with drive while prohibited. So don't do it. All right. So. This week has maybe been like the first and only week of of 2024 where there hasn't been an overpass strike. Probably only only due to the snow. Sure, that they they hit the snow on the overpass. And yeah, they they spun out long before they hit the overpass. You can hear there's lots of road noise out of our office right now because of the uh, vehicles driving by and the wet snowy wet roads. But. Um, I still thought we should talk a little bit about overpass strikes because there's more information coming from the government about some of the um, consequences that are being put in place for commercial drivers who both strike overpasses as well as um, do other violations that are being put in place to make the roads safer from the menace of commercial drivers. So the thing is that Kyla Lee uh, gets all sorts of... um information uh from all sorts of sources which is uh fascinating and uh yes so you find these things out before everybody else somehow yes somebody will send it to you so the first thing of course we had effective december 14th of last year uh the overheight uh fines and regulations put in place those were just done by regulation almost immediately to like allow them to basically suspend everybody's fleet license we've talked about those already But the two new ones that are coming into effect later this year, the first one is April 5th, 2024, for speed limiters in commercial vehicles. Big deal. Yep. This is going to be for like Merlin Blackwell up in Clearwater um, and people in the Kamloops area who are concerned about the highway there and the commercial vehicle speeds. This is big, important news for them. Well, it's uh, there's been a lot of truck drivers posting videos of truck drivers passing them at unsafe speeds in the snow. Now, the unsafe speeds happen all the time. It's only noteworthy for them right now because it's in the snow. Uh, There's a lot of responsible truck drivers out there, but there's lots of people who persuade themselves, oh my gosh, I really need to pass that guy. And so speed limiters on trucks, the actual functioning of this legislation that they passed last year is coming now by regulation. And then as of June 1st of this year, there's also going to be required in-cab warning devices um, for dump box trucks. Uh-huh. So uh, the in-cab warning, well, let's talk about the new overheight vehicle re- regulations. Those were the ones that came in in December. Um, so this is for any vehicle with a height over 4.15 meters um, that uh, it has to have a special uh, permit for an overheight vehicle. And contraventions um, result in a fine starting at $575 for operating it without a permit. Or cheap. That's cheap, that's actually. Cheap, yeah. Not getting a permit, that's Well, there's NSC points attached to it, right? Oh, is there? Yeah. And then operating the vehicle in a manner that contravenes the permit. So you've got a, a height, you're allowed 4.8 meters, and you operate at 4.9. Or you take a different route than your permit allowed. Yep. Yep. And uh, if the vehicle height contravenes general authority... General authority. A vague provision. Yes. Uh, So we're going to have we're going to have measuring tapes are going to be evidence now and the hearings for all of these. offenses. I guess we're going to have to. If if you're uh, working for commercial vehicle safety, you. Do you 
you better bring your measuring tape. Do you need a measuring tape if the photo is of the the car stuck to the overpass with the overpass having a height sign on it? Yeah, the, the yeah. trailer or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's enough. So the in-cab warning devices, um, those are the ones that come in as of June 1st. Any vehicle with a dump box that's capable of rising above 4.15 meters. So the vehicle itself may be under 4.15, but if the dump box will go above that, then it must not be operated on a highway unless it is equipped with a visual or audio warning device that alerts the driver if the dump is raised. I was on the Mike Smith show and a, a dump truck driver called in and said, every truck has this already. And it's obviously not people paying attention. Or they disable it. But they, Maybe. they say the contravention as of June 1st is a $598 fine for not being properly equipped with a dump box warning device. Well, that'll be something that everybody will be pulled over <laughs> that week yeah. because that'll be a big way to generate money. But it's a regulation. So does it end up on your commercial vehicle points? It does. It says violations will also be recorded against a carrier's NSC profile. Okay. So that can have imp- implications beyond the province of BC, which has been part of the problem. Yeah. You know, you get these fleets and then they just go use their Alberta registered vehicles after getting their carrier profile suspended in BC. Well, if it goes on your NSC, that's a national safety code. And so you can still get consequences in other provinces, depending on a number of factors. One wonders about, you know, people who work in the trucking industry, if they keep up with the changes to regulations to the extent that they should. I mean, we defend a lot of them now, right? Mm-hmm. Like the 10 years ago, we didn't defend these cases. And now we've got dozens of these cases going at any time in our office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of times people don't know. Um, if you're running a trucking company and you want to uh, learn about it and you want to have uh, your uh, staff know about it, you can give a contact us. We're always happy to come and, and talk to you. Let's keep going. Yeah. Speed limiters is the next one. And so this is legislation amendments that were already brought in last year. We talked about the bill, the big changes. Heavy commercial vehicles are going to be required to have a speed limiter as of April 5th, 2024. That's when that's the drop dead date to have it installed. Wow, that's fast. Yeah. That's a a lot of work. And man, I'm telling you, if you have a trucking company and you're not on top of this, you better get on it right now because April is only a few months away. So maximum speed that's going to be set yes. wasn't in the legislation itself. Oh, it was. I knew it was going to come by regulation. What is it? 105 kilometers an hour. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a lot slower than Wow. That's BC. slowing down trucks in BC yeah. significantly. I mean, like Coca-Cola is 120. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes some... I've been passed by trucks going faster oh, yeah. than 120 on the Coca-Cola. That's because you were going faster than 120 on the Coca-Cola. No, I have been going faster than 120 on the Coca-Cola. I admit it. I won't admit when or enough. I won't give you enough information. It's more than a year ago. Me, but it was more than a year ago. But then you won't even know what vehicle I was in. No. I was cloaked. Um, but the uh, uh, it, it has happened to me occasionally. Um, but I'm not a flagrant speeder by any means, as you can tell by my perfectly clear driving record for well over two decades. But now. Let me tell you more about 105. Yeah, 105. 105. Oh, truckers, be warned. But it's not just that. The electronic control module must be accurately programmed. So they're going to be having enforcement powers that can check the programming. They prohibit tampering technology. So you can 
presumably CBSE op- operators will have the ability to search vehicles. In fact, they wrote that into the legislation. So right? what about Alberta truckers driving here, Ontario truck drivers coming here? Well, they're... they're Any exemption for out-of-province registered vehicles? I, there are exemptions, which we'll discuss in a moment, but I want to get to the next thing, the most important thing. If you violate this provision by regulation, they put three penalty points on it. Oh, so, so yeah. you can get a bunch of BC driver's license suspensions for it. But you yeah. probably have that truck towed too, because they could determine that it's not supposed to be on the road and so give you a notice and order. Here are here are the different three penalty points and three hundred and sixty eight dollar fine tickets you can get. No speed limiter, speed limiter not activated, speed limiter not set to prescribe maximum rate of speed. Speed limiter in heavy commercial vehicle not in good working order. Inaccurately programmed electronic control module. Tampering technology in heavy commercial vehicle. Tampering technology interacting with speed limiter. So even if you just have the tampering technology and it's not working, you can still get the same consequence. And I'd be really, would have been tempted to run a bypass wire, and then but apparently not. There's also provisions for participation in contraventions of speed provisions of the Motor Vehicle Act. If you participate in allowing somebody to speed, you could be charged. So you could charge... What What are they imagining there? Well, they could, if you have a, um, a lot of complaints we hear from drivers, right, is that their company is pressuring them to meet certain deadlines. Amazon, this has been a big issue, right? If they participate in that by saying... You have to get there by this time. I don't care if you have to break the law. Then you could be charged for telling the driver to do that. This is fascinating. As you're telling me this, your dog is trying to dig a hole in the carpet in my office, and it's pretty funny to watch. Um, yeah, the uh, there are exemptions. So, what about like the any any mechanic who gives you advice yep. on how to bypass it yep. would potentially could be, be participating, but yep. you'd have to prove it. Um, but the company, you know, often there's correspondence from the company and messages sent to your radio or what have you, yep. which, uh, putting pressure on a driver to get there. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Now here are the- Got to be tough for private drivers. Here, um, here are the exemptions for other jurisdictions yeah. that you want to know. So other jurisdictions with, um, similar regulations have- already exist in in uh, BC and so uh, as the same ones in BC so Ontario and Quebec also already have speed limiter requirements so for at least two of the provinces well they're going to have to have parity in the speeds that are set in there too that's probably why we're at 105 instead yeah, of 120 yeah we're matching the requirements that are um, existing in other that provinces would, that would make sense because all of those other provinces are slow and did you know that Ontario after putting in speed limiters had a 73% reduction in speed-related crashes involving heavy mo- commercial vehicles. Was there five of them a year? I don't I thought it was in the cut, lot. cut down by, I'm sure there's a huge number, I'm just saying. Uh, you know, it's, uh, whenever we see these announcements from the provincial government, it always feels like they're spinning things needlessly. Uh, but yeah, I believe it. I yeah. believe it. So well, that'll be interesting. Save vehicles, some lives. So vehicles manufactured before 1994 don't require this technology. Awesome. <laughs> so I've been looking for a big truck. Driving a retro big rig. That's um, what I want. Emergency vehicles Cab and over. motor homes obviously don't have the technology. I don't know why motor homes shouldn't be required to have it because it's a motor home. It's big. It's dangerous. 
Um, but emergency vehicles. That you know sense. what? In my entire 30, 45 years of driving or whatever it is, I don't think I've ever seen a motorhome speeding, like dangerously speeding. Most people are just so happy that they're on the road and that they can get up to 90 kilometers an hour in a motorhome. Um, same, you know, buses, I've seen Greyhound buses speeding, but it's not like a chronic problem or something like that. Yeah. I mean, big truck speeding is the chronic problem. You've got all sorts of people. I mean, 20 years ago, you didn't have trucks with automatic transmissions. And so becoming a truck driver was a complex, painful thing. Now you've got Freightliner and Volvos with automatic transmissions and all sorts of people become truck drivers with very little training and uh, are uh, more likely, I think, probably with the pressure from their employer to speed. So yeah, this is a this is an interesting development. It's a major development, but I guess if uh, these companies who are are working across the country should already understand that this is coming. Yeah. Um, the companies that are BC based better recognize that uh, the times are changing. Yep. So this will be very interesting, um, and it'll be interesting to see if we do see a reduction in crashes. Because I will say, you know, the debate has been on in the past. If there's a reduction in crashes for commercial vehicles, it stands to reason there may also be a reduction in crashes for passenger vehicles with speed limiter technology. Well, everybody hates being regulated. And you look at the uh, at the you know response to increased regulation in any different aspect of life. And it's like people are freaked out about the fact that they can just be randomly pulled over, for example. Um, I don't know how they're going to respond to that, but I mean, the majority of people who are, are rational individuals will have to look at it and say like a car that can go 240 kilometers an hour, it's not necessary to have that capacity. Um, and the moment you start regulating it, then it's the slippery slope down to where it's 120. Yep. So enjoy your fast car while you can, but don't speed. Now, Paul, it's been a minute, but I think we need to take a moment, a McGracken moment. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, let loose the law and justice cracking Eric McGrackin! Welcome to the McGracken Moment. So if you're a taxi driver and you have a passenger who's in a wheelchair and they don't put their seatbelt on and you don't put their seatbelt on and then something happens where they're injured and the seatbelt would have made a difference, are you negligent? Well, that's the question that the B.C. Supreme Court had to answer in a recent case published late last month. The case was called Stillwell and Richmond Cabs Limited. And that's basically the fact pattern. The plaintiff was a passenger in a specially equipped taxi for people in wheelchairs. And she didn't put her seatbelt on. She actually couldn't put her seatbelt on because of her physical limitations. And the taxi driver didn't put it on her either. She was an adult. And the taxi driver was driving behind another vehicle when all of a sudden some raccoons ran out in the road and the front vehicle slammed on their brakes. The taxi driver slammed on his brakes 
and no crash happened. The vehicles didn't collide. And I don't think the raccoons were hurt either. But when the taxi driver slammed on his brakes, the plaintiff was flung violently out of her wheelchair, and she suffered fairly serious injuries, including orthopedic fractures. Now, this crash happened back in 2018 when crash victims still had the right to sue. So she sued for compensation, and the taxi driver denied fault. He said, look, she didn't put on her own seatbelt, and I drove fine. I didn't cause a crash. I wasn't involved in a crash. I wasn't negligent. But the B.C. Supreme Court disagreed. B.C. Supreme Court said, look, if you have, even if it's an adult, passenger in a wheelchair, it's on you the driver, to make sure that their seatbelt is put on. And if they can't put it on themselves, you need to put it on. If you don't, it's negligent. And in terms of the driving, the evidence was that the taxi driver was going a little bit above the speed limit, not much, but was also following the vehicle in front of him a little bit closely. Again, nothing crazy, nothing reckless, but just going a little bit fast, following a little too close, and not having a restrained passenger, the court said all of that was negligent and damages flowed. And there was no contributory negligence found as against the plaintiff. In terms of the key findings, here's what the court said. With respect to his knowledge that the plaintiff was not properly restrained, there is no question that the taxi driver did not fasten the wheelchair seatbelt. And he must have known that the passenger could not and had not done so herself whether he believed that she might have done up her postural belt, which she had not, does not assist him. I find that the taxi driver's standard of care in transporting the passenger required that he drive in such a way so as to avoid situations where he might have to come to an unnecessary, abrupt, and hard stop. Those situations include driving faster than the speed limit while following too closely. I find that he breached the standard in the circumstances. So there you have it, folks. If you have uh, an adult passenger that cannot fasten their own seatbelt, help them out. Otherwise, you could be negligent. Thank you, Eric. And I thought since last week, I didn't come on the podcast. And maybe it was because I was cracking open a beer at the time. Sitting at the... Sitting at the... Uh, <laughs> I got a beer, sitting in the slots. Sitting in the slots, drinking a beer. And smoking. <laughs> I hope not. No. <laughs> no. Uh, I did take a cigarette from somebody to blow into the ASD, but then I didn't bring it with me because I thought maybe you'd get mad if I blew cigarette smoke into your breath. I would not be happy if you blew cigarette smoke into it. Although, you know, well, we should have a discussion about that one. Because I've just uh, been working on a uh, a blog post about uh, reasons that you can get a fail on a, on an approved screening device, and cigarette smoke is one of them. And it's a fascinating thing because the RCMP have never gone public with the fact that they know you can blow an alcohol reading without any alcohol in your body just from cigarette smoke. Yes. So, speaking of cracking a beer and testing people for drinking and driving and such. So, <laughs> this is a man in Brampton who is our... The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. A surprising bestseller? The pinpoint method of cross-examination is catching on. Law firms and new litigators across Canada have caught on to cross-examination, the pinpoint method. Kyla Lee's straightforward handbook that teaches you effective cross-examination skills. Um, he is... 25, 
He just got his new driver's license. He was going 50 over the speed limit. There's there's the case for speed limiting technology in private vehicles. 50 kilometers an hour over the speed limit, weaving in and out of traffic while driving home from his driving test that he just passed. And what did he do while he was in the car to celebrate passing that test? Go ahead. He cracked open a beer. You know, it's funny. I, I look at some of these like beautiful cars and um, in the advertisements and everybody looks like they're having so much fun. And I think I, the only time I ever have that much fun is when I'm drinking, not when I'm drinking and driving. And I think, you know, if I bought myself one of those cars, like if I bought myself a Bentley or something like that, I'd really feel like I should be able to have a glass of champagne. Um, but of course, you know, that would be foolhardy and stupid and against the law. Uh, but, uh, yes, apparently, uh, for this fellow, he, uh, he just couldn't avoid the compulsion to celebrate with alcohol in his car. Yes. Very ridiculous. So he must have admitted this. He must have said to the officer, how did this come out? The police, when they pulled him over, they saw the beer in the cup holder. Yeah. He didn't have the beer in the cup holder when he took his road test. So. Oh, it was right there. Right. He was coming back from the road test. Wow. So he had him in the trunk or something. So he planned. He planned to celebrate. He planned to celebrate, bought himself a beer, either before or after. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. Well, back to admission of offenses. Yeah. Um, you know, back when I was 18 or 19, it wasn't unusual for me to uh, have some alcohol in the car when I drove. That is a long, long time ago. I uh, I admit to it now. And the reason that I admit to it now is because it is something that we see people do. Um, it's uh, a stupid thing that you could do, but of course, when you're pulled over and you blow into a roadside breath tester, despite the fact that you've hidden that cup under your seat, uh, you're going to get an unreliable reading. Yep. Don't tell the police officer anything about it. Just blow the one time and call us right afterward, please. Yeah, definitely. Um, Don't don't talk. Don't talk. (laughs) Don't talk. Don't blow again. All you have to tell them is your name and your address and the name and address of the registered owner of the motor vehicle. You know, it's funny thing that I see so many police officers ask people their date of birth. And I think I've touched on this a few times because I just- You don't have to give- Drives me crazy because you don't have to give your date of birth. Officers are not entitled to ask you your date of birth because of course they are, you know, it's part of a, a test there at the roadside and it's not authorized by law and your right to counsel is suspended. Um, I think it's a, a 10B violation. And I think the reason that it's on the Motor Vehicle Act is because it would embarrass people. Oh, I'm 40 years old. Yeah. Trying to pass myself as 30. Yeah. Well, that was a fun uh, podcast, Kyla. Yeah. It was nice to do it face to face again. And I'm sure we will again next week. I hope so. Looking forward to it. So, if you have a driving law related issue that you need to reach us about, you can find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call at 604 685 8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.